Hello and welcome to another week of the Days That Music Dad right here on 89.5 WJMU The Quad. I'm your host Caleb and very, very eager to go ahead and get ready for this week's show. Very interesting, not only of the year that we are in, but also just the artists as well. This artist is a, a very tragic passing, very up in the air passing, still not exactly certain what happened, but scientists do believe, and, and doctors as well do believe, that uh, this is most likely what happened, but still very up in the air, and so we will get to that later on in the tragic day for this week's artist. But first, quick reminder to like us on Facebook at the days that music died and you can follow us on twitter also at the days that music died we also have a podcast and if you want to check out our podcast you can do that on spotify on the anchor podcast app on google podcast and more of your lesser known podcast apps let's go ahead and get into what our life was like in the year 1944 so let's put our time traveling caps on let's put our thinking caps on and let's go back in time 1944. Now, now life was really interesting in 1944 because we have World War II going on in 1944. So lots of things are, are happening. We're out of the Great Depression from the late 20s, early 30s. We're, we're in this weird period at the end of the 30s and everything. And then we enter into the end of the 30s, into the beginning of the 40s. We have this period of time where Europe is all over the place, especially with um, Germany and then Russia and, and Japan. It's, it's just a mess of different things. And then eventually um, in those in the 40s, we do have World War II breaks out and starts, begins. And now in 1944, here we are, World War II is happening and the U.S. is involved and it's, it's, it's this whole thing. And uh, so the average cost of a new house was $3,450, roughly, in 1944. Average wages per year was $2,400. A cost of a gallon of gas was $0.15. Cents. The average cost for a house of rent was about $50 per month. A loaf of bread was $0.10, cents, and Old Spice shaving soap was a dollar. I, I love those weird statistics in there. But... It makes sense. And you compare the life of then to now. Here's the thing. Over the past few weeks, we've had certain similarities, but we've also had a lot of differences compared to that year to 2020. Well, in the past few weeks, we've had a lot of years that really coincide with around 9-11, you know, maybe before or after 9-11. Now we're in this period where we're way before 9-11, but 9-11 isn't even, isn't even a question, even, even a thing thought of at the time. Um, instead, we have World War II. Now, obviously, lots of differences as far as life, but there are big things going on at this time in 1944 compared to 2020. Some really big things going on, such as 2020, big things going on. Obviously, you can't relate those big things, but you can say, okay, these big things are going on. Life is different. This is affecting life to its fullest. You could not live a normal life at this time. And that's exactly what's happening right now in 2020 with the pandemic. It, you can't live a normal life right now. And so there, there, it's, it's very different, very different. Um, but there's, there's some very small, faint comparisons 
but there are those those overlying differences there that are really important for each year respectively and so big events that are happening in 1944 well the biggest of all World War II and uh, basically everything we talk about at, from this spawns from World War II and so uh, D-Day occurs in Normandy, France at the end of the year. We have the Allied, Allied troops um, attempt the largest airborne military operation with Operation Market Garden throughout this time. The siege of Leningrad has finally been broken. The Battle of the Bulge beginning on December 16th is one of the deadliest battles in World War II with 19,000 U.S. soldiers killed. The Allies assembled the largest force of air power used who bombed railways and other targets in Germany. The assassination attempt on Hitler fails at this time. 76 prisoners of war escaped the Stalag Luft, the third prison camp during World War II. Um, FDR, Franklin D. Roosevelt, becomes the only U.S. president to be elected to a fourth term. Now, this is really big. Um, he is coming in for the World War II. He, he is the staple throughout all of World War II. And here he is being elected to a fourth term, the first president to ever be elected to the fourth term and the last president to ever be elected to a fourth term with because of this um, it was decided from there a law was passed that presidents can only be elected to two terms at the maximum, a total of eight years. So here we are, FDR has this reign of four terms, and he, here he is leading the U.S., the United States, throughout World War II. He's got his fireside chats letting everyone know, being assured that everything is okay, and this is what's happening, and, and this is how life is going to look like for a bit, and, and such on and on really is what's happening and so FDR is an, an essential figure throughout this time when looking back he's a leading leading figure throughout World War II and he's really important throughout World War II whether you agree with his moves his actions or disagree he's very important he has a lot of a lot of decisions to make he has a lot of decisions that he did make or maybe even didn't make, that ended up being really important in history, in time, as we look back at it now. Some really big things that are occurring. And so FDR, him becoming the U, the only U.S. president to be elected in fourth term is, is a very, very big note here. And the United States government gives back railroads to companies after labor disputes are settled. And President Franklin Roosevelt signs the GI Bill of Rights into law on June 22nd. And this all leads to a man for today's focus that was an exceptional musician but quite possibly an even better composer and he was ju just essential at this time and he did so many things for the army at this time and unfortunately lost his life when he was in the army and that is none other than Glenn Miller. Alton Glenn Miller was born March 1, 1904 in Clarinda, Iowa. The son of Maddie Lou and Lewis Elmer Miller, he attended grade school in North Platte in western Nebraska. In 1915, his family moved to Grant City, Missouri. Around this time, he had made enough money from milking cows to buy his first trombone and played in the town orchestra. He played cornet and mandolin, but he switched to trombone by 1916. In 1918, the Miller family moved again, this time to Fort Morgan, Colorado, where he went to high school. In the fall of 1919, he joined the high school American football team, Maroons, which won the Northern Colorado American Football Conference in 1920. 
He was named Best Left End in Colorado, and during his senior year, he became interested in dance band music. He was so taken that he formed a band with some classmates. By the time he graduated from high school in 1921, he had decided to become a professional musician. And so in 1923, Miller actually entered the University of Colorado in Boulder, where he joined Sigma Nu fraternity. He spent most of his time away from school, attending auditions, and playing any gigs he could get at the time, including with Boyd Center's band in Denver. And after failing three out of five classes, he decided to drop out of school to pursue a career in music. He studied the Schillinger system with Joseph Schillinger, under whose tutelage he composed what became his signature theme, Moonlight Serenade. In 1926, Miller toured with several groups, landing a good spot in Ben Pollock's group in Los Angeles. He also played for Victor Young, which allowed him to be mentored by other professional musicians uh, at this time period. In the beginning, he was the main trombone soloist of the band, but when Jack Teagarden joined Pollock's band in 1928, Miller found that his solos were cut drastically. He realized that his future was in arranging and composing. Thus, the Glenn Miller is born. He had a songbook published in Chicago in 1928 entitled Glenn Miller's 125 Jazz Breaks for Trombone by the Melrose Brothers. During his time with Pollock, he wrote several arrangements, and he wrote his first composition, Room 1411, with Benny Goodman and Brunswick Records, released it as a 78 under the name Benny Goodman's Boys. In 1928, when the band arrived in New York City, he sent for and married his college sweetheart, Helen Berger. He was a member of Red Nichols' orchestra in 1930, and because of Nichols, he played in the pit bands of two Broadway shows, Strike Up the Band and Girl Crazy. The band even included Benny Goodman and Jane Krupa. During the late 1920s and early 1930s, Miller actually worked as a freelance trombonist to several bands. On March 21, 1928, Victor Records session, he played alongside Tommy Dorsey, Benny Goodman, and others in the All-Star Orchestra directed by Nat Skillret. He arranged and played trombone in several significant Dorsey Brothers sessions for OK Records, including The Spell of the Blues, Let's Do It and My Kind of Love, along with Bing Crosby on vocals. So so this is really important before we continue. Glenn Miller is in there, right along in there with all the other popular people in jazz at this time. He, he's he got the young Bing Crosby singing. He's he's playing with Benny Goodman. He's friends with Tommy Dorsey. I mean, he is, he, he's playing with Gene Krupa. I mean, he is just there. He is there. Later on, you'll hear about Coleman Hawkins and, and Eddie Condon and, and, and all this. And, and this is exactly, he he's in there. He is invested. He is working hard throughout all of this. And this is so important because here he is just really really having this this investment into into jazz music and, and and everything that is going on throughout the 20s and even to the 30s he's a very very important figure um at this time and and to know that he was involved with these other musicians with these other these other amazing leading figures in jazz music is is really important for Glenn Miller and looking at Glenn Miller's life. And so on November 14, 1929, vocalist Red McKenzie hired Miller to play on two records, Hello Lola and If I Could Be With You One Hour Tonight. Beside Miller were saxophonist Coleman Hawkins, clarinetist Pee Wee Russell, guitarist Eddie Condon, and drummer Gene Krupa. 
In the early to mid-1930s, Miller worked as a trombonist, arranger, and composer for the Dorsey Brothers. First when they were a Brunswick studio group, and when they formed an ill-fated orchestra, Miller composed the songs Annie's Cousin Fanny, Dees Dim Doze, Harlem Chapel Chimes, and Tomorrow's Another Day for the Dorsey Brothers Band in 1934 and 35, respectively. In 1935, he assembled an American orchestra for British band leader Ray Noble, developing the arrangement of lead clarinet over four saxophones that became a characteristic of his big band. Very important thing here for Glenn Miller. And so Miller made his first movie appearance in the big broadcast of 1936 as a member of the Ray Noble Orchestra performing Why Stars Come Out at Night. And the film included performances by Dorothy Dandridge and the Nicholas Brothers. In 1937, Miller compiled several arrangements and formed his first band. After failing to, dis to distinguish itself from many bands of the time, it broke up after its last show at the Ritz Ballroom in Bridgeport, Connecticut on January 2nd, 1938. And now moving into this success that Miller is finally receiving after many years of, of really nothing at all from 1938 to 1942, discouraged, Miller actually returns to New York. And so he realizes that he needs to develop a unique sound and decides to make this clarinet play a melodic line with a tenor saxophone holding the same note, while three other saxophones harmonize within a single octave, hence what I mentioned earlier. And so George T. Simon actually discovered a saxophonist named Wilbur Schwartz for Glenn Miller. Miller hired Schwartz, but instead had him play lead clarinet. According to Simon, Willie's tone and way of playing provided a fullness and richness so distinctive that none of the later Miller imita imitators could ever accurately reproduce the Miller sound. And with this new sound combination, Glenn Miller found a way to differentiate his band style from the many bands that existed in the late 30s. Now we have Bluebird Records and, and Glen, Glen Island Casino. And so in September 1938, the Miller Band began recording for Bluebird, a subsidiary of RCA Victor. Cy Shribman, a prominent East Coast businessman, financed the band at this time. And so in the spring of 1939, the band's fortunes improved with the date at the Meadowbrook Ballroom in Cedar Grove, New Jersey, and more dramatically at the Glen Island Casino in New Rochelle, New York. The band's popularity grew throughout this time and because of these performances. And so in 39, Time Magazine noted of the 12 to 24 discs in each of today's 300,000 U.S. jukeboxes from 2 to 6 are usually Glenn Miller's. Tuxedo Junction sold 115,000 copies in the first week, and Miller's success in 1939 culminated with an appearance at Carnegie Hall on October 6th with Paul Whiteman, Benny Goodman, and Fred Waring also on the schedule. From December 1939 to September 1942, Miller's band performed three times a week during a quarter-hour broadcast for Chesterfield Cigarettes on CBS Radio for the first 13 weeks with the Andrews Sisters and then on its own. On February 10th, 1942, RCA Victor presented Miller with the first gold record, first gold record for Chattanooga Choo Choo. This Chattanooga Choo Choo was performed by the Miller Orchestra with his singers Gordon Tex Benicki, Paula Kelly, and the Modernaires. Now, movies, Miller and his band appeared in two 20th Century Fox films throughout this time in 1941's Sun Valley Serenade. They are major members of the cast, which also featured comedian Milton Berle and Dorothy Dandridge with the Nicholas Brothers in the show-stopping song and dance, mother, dance number Chattanooga Choo Choo. 
The Miller Band returned to Hollywood to film 1942's Orchestra of Wives, featuring Jackie Gleason playing a part as the group's bassist, Ben Beck. Miller had an ailment that made laughter extremely painful, and since Gleason was a comedian, Miller had a difficult time watching him more than once, because Miller would start laughing. Miller was contracted to do a third movie for Fox, Blind Date, but as he entered the U.S. Army, this ultimately never panned out. We'll continue more on Glenn Miller, this amazing, amazing artist and musician that he was, everything that he was able to do for music, both on a performing side and also on a arranger and composing side. Um, we'll get to more of critical reaction and more about his, his life and even the Army Air Force Band and everything that he had to do with that. But first, let's go ahead and get into the music. Here is In the Mood by Glenn Miller, and I hope you all enjoy. And that was I Know Why and So Do You. What what a just what a beautiful beautiful sound and I tell you Glenn Miller and right before that we had when you wish upon a star the the classic uh, Disney um, Cinderella I believe Disney Disney tune intro I should say just a just amazing stuff Glenn Miller was just exceptional he really was with arranging with it composing even with performing as well he he really was just an all around all-around musical genius that is he did amazing things with jazz with music at the time and he he was he was the next edge he was he was on the the cusp of really being quite possibly one of the biggest names in music and then he decides to do something that we're about to get into but first here's kind of a critical reaction of Glenn Miller. And so in 2004, Miller Orchestra bassist Trigger Alpert um, actually explained the band's success. Miller had America's music pulse. He knew what would please the listeners. And although Miller was popular, many jazz critics had misgivings. And so they actually believed that the band's endless rehearsals, and according to critic Amy Lee in Metronome Magazine, letter-perfect playing removed feeling from their performances. They also felt that Miller's brand of swing-shifted popular music uh, from the hot jazz of Benny Goodman and Count Basie to commercial novelty instrumentals and vocal numbers. After Miller died, the Miller estate maintained an unfriendly stance toward critics who derided the band during his lifetime. Miller always was often criticized uh, for being too commercial. His answer was, I don't want a jazz band. Many modern jazz critics harbor similar um, antipathy, and so jazz critic Gary Giddens uh, actually wrote for the New Yorker magazine in 2004. Giddens says that these critics erred in denigrating Miller's music and that the popular opinion of the time should hold a greater sway. Miller exuded little warmth on or off the bandstand, but once the band struck up its theme, audiences were done for. Throats clutched, eyes softened. Can any other record match Moonlight Serenade for its ability to induce a Pavlovian slaver in so many for so long? Is what Giddens writes in The New Yorker. And so this reaction from musical peers also is, is very important when discussing Glenn Miller. And Louis Armstrong thought enough of Miller to actually carry around his, his recordings, uh, transferred to seven-inch tape reels when he went on tour. So that might mean a little something. And so Armstrong liked musicians who prize melody, and his selections range from Glenn Miller to Jelly Roll Morton to Tchaikovsky. And jazz pianist J uh, George Shearing's quintet of the 1950s and 60s was actually influenced 
influenced by Miller with Shearing's locked hand style piano. Frank Sinatra and Mel Torme held the orchestra in high regard. Torme credited Miller with giving him helpful advice when he first started his singing and songwriting career in the 1940s. Torme met Glenn Miller in 1942, the meeting facilitated by Torme's father and Ben Pollock. Torme and Miller discussed that, that old black magic, which was just emerging as a new song by Johnny Mercer and Harold Arlen. Miller told Torme to pick up every song by Mercer and study it, and to become a voracious reader of anything he could find, because all good lyric writers are great readers. And with opposite opinion, fellow band leader Artie Shaw frequently disparaged the band after Miller's death. All I can say is that Glenn should have lived and Chattanooga Choo Choo should have died. Clarinetist Buddy DeFranco surprised many people when he led the Glenn Miller Orchestra in the late 60s and early 70s. DeFranco was already a veteran of bands like Gene Krupa and Tommy Dorsey in the 1940s. He was also a major exponent in modern jazz in the 50s. He never saw Miller as leading a swinging jazz band, but DeFranco is extremely fond of certain aspects of the Glenn Miller style. I found that when I opened with the sound of Moonlight Serenade, I could look around and see men and women and women weeping as the music carried them back to years gone by. DeFranco says the beauty of Glenn Miller's ballads caused people to dance together. And thus, at the peak of his civilian career in 1942, Miller decides to do something crazy. He decides to join the war effort. Forsaking an income of $15,000 to $20,000 per week in civilian life, and at 38, Miller was too old to be drafted and first volunteered for the Navy, but was told that they did not need his services. And so Miller then wrote to Army Brigadier General Charles Young. He persuaded the United States Army to accept him so he could, in his own words, be placed in charge of a modernized Army band. After he was accepted into the Army, Miller's civilian band played its last concert in Pasale, New Jersey on September 27, 1942, with the last song played by the Miller Civilian Band being Jukebox Saturday Night, featuring an appearance by Harry James on trumpet, his patriotic intention of entertaining the Allied forces with a fusion of virtuosity and dance rhythms in his music earned him the rank of captain, and he was soon promoted to major by August 1944. Miller reported at Omaha on October 8, 1942, to the Seventh Service Command as a captain in the Army Specialist Corps. Miller was soon transferred to the Army Air Forces, and Captain Glenn Miller served initially as Assistant Special Services Officer for the Army Air Forces Southeast Training Center at Maxwell Field, Montgomery, Alabama, in December 1942. He played trombone with the Rhythm Ears, a 15-piece dance band in both Montgomery and in service clubs and recreation halls on Maxwell. Miller also appeared on both WAPI, Birmingham, Alabama, and WSFA Radio, Montgomery, promoting the activity of civil, civil service women aircraft mechanics employed at Maxwell. Miller initially found a large marching band that was to be the core of a network of service orchestras. His attempts at modernizing military music were met with some resistance from tradition-minded career officers, but Miller's fame and support from other senior leaders allowed him to continue. And for example, Miller's arrangement of St. Louis Blues March combined blues and jazz with the traditional military march. This led to permission for Miller to form his 50-piece Army Air Force Band and take it to England in the summer of 44, where he gave 800 performances. While in England, now Major Miller recorded a series of records at EMI owned 
by Abbey Road Studios. EMI owned Abbey Road Studios. The recordings the AFF band, AAF band made in 1944 at Abbey Road were propaganda broadcasts for the Office of War Information. Many songs are sung in German by Johnny Desmond, and Glenn Miller speaks in German about the war effort. Before Miller's disappearance, his music was used by World War II AFN radio broadcasting for entertainment and morale, as well as counter-propaganda to denounce fascist op- oppression in Europe with even Miller once stating on radio, America means freedom, and there's no expression of freedom quite so sincere as music. And there were also the Miller-led AAF orchestra recorded songs with American singer Dinah Shore. These were done at the Abbey Road Studios and were the last recorded songs made by the band while being led by Miller. They were stored with HMV and EMI for 50 years, not released until their European copyright expired in 1994. And summarizing Miller's military career, General Jimmy Doolittle said next to a letter from home, that organization was the greatest morale builder in the European theater of operations. And during Miller's stay in England, he and his band were headquartered in a BBC radio office at 25 Sloan Court in London. A bomb landed three blocks away, encouraging Miller to relocate to Bedford, England. The day after he departed London, a V-1 flying bomb demolished his former office, killing, killing at least 70 of his former office mates. And thus, after this occurs, we have Glenn Miller's tragic day which we will get to in the next break. But first, let's go ahead and get back into the music and, and dissect, uh, allow you to really, really um, just think about the things that are happening. Glenn Miller, you know, huge. This is huge, what he's doing um, to not only choose, okay, I, I want to help with the war effort. How can I help? How can I help? He wants to join the Navy. He's too old. He can't do it. So he's like, hmm, I really want to help. How can I do this? army so he looks towards the army and sees the army bands the air force bands and he's like how can i get involved with this and so what he wants to do though is he doesn't want to just play in a band he wants to lead a band but yet he wants to make a jazz band for the army and for the air force the army air force And, and this is a big thing because at this time it was happening but not not to the extent that glenn miller made it happen and because of glenn miller it's it's a big thing now, and it's it's because of him that there's a reason why this is, why the Air Force bands, why the Army bands, and, and why the jazz bands in particular are the way they are, because Glenn Miller had a very important stake, a very important um, influence in those and on them as well, and so because of this, Glenn Miller is rising through the ranks. He's he's getting promoted nonstop because of what he's doing. Because he's helping with the internal side of the war effort and because he is spreading awareness, he's spreading peace, he's spreading music. And that's the biggest thing. And that's where this quote, this greatest morale builder by Jimmy Doolittle is what he says. And even even what Miller says once on radio, America means freedom and there's no expression of freedom quite so sincere as music that's huge this is huge of what glenn miller is doing at this time you don't even have to agree with it to understand that this is a big thing glenn miller at this time is changing the way we see music and he is changing the way music and the military is is together is conjoined is combined especially in the united states and especially with the addition of a army jazz band air force jazz band this is really big and so Glenn Miller is continuing his greatness with music, with 
performing with composing and arranging, but he's also has this brilliant idea, and he is just fusing it in to the military and saying, hey, we can really help with the war effort just on a different side of things. We can convince people that we are here for freedom and we are here for good by music, by using music. We can do this. We can do this. And that's exactly what he's trying to do. And unfortunately, he's never able to do it to the fullest or fully. And we're about to find out in our tragic day. But first, let's go ahead and get back into the music. Here's Chattanooga Choo Choo. Later on, we've got A String of Pearls, all by Glenn Miller. I hope you all groove and enjoy. And that was A String of Pearls by Glenn Miller. Once again, you are listening to The Days That Music Died right here on 89.5 WJMU, The Quad. I'm your host, Caleb. And we are featuring the great legendary Glenn Miller on this week's show. Uh, right before that, we had Let's Have Another Cup of Coffee, a classic tune also in the catalog of Glenn Miller. But first, before we get into our, our last music and before we wrap up today's show, let's talk about our tragic day for the great Glenn Miller. And so Glenn Miller's tragic tragic day is, is more of a tragic week of sorts, and it, it really is a long-lasting thing that is just... Just crazy. It really is. And so we, ha- we have the disappearance of Glenn Miller. And so Miller was actually due to fly from the town of Bedford in the United Kingdom to Paris on December 15, 1944, to make arrangements to move his entire band there in the near future. His plane, a single-engine UC-64 Norseman, departed from RAF Twinwood Farm in Clapham on the outskirts of Bedford and disappeared while flying over the English Channel. Two other U.S. military officers were on board the plane, Lieutenant Colonel Norman Bassel and the pilot John Morgan. Miller spent the last night before his disappearance at Milton Ernest Hall near Bedford. Miller's disappearance was not actually made public until December 24, 1944. When the Associated Press announced Miller would not be conducting the scheduled BBC broadcast, AEF Christmas show the following day. The band's deputy leader, Tech Sergeant Jerry Gray, stood in for Miller instead. Miller left behind his wife and two adopted children, and he was posthumously awarded the Bronze Star, presented to his wife Helen in a ceremony held on March 24, 1945. In 2014, the Chicago Tribune reported that despite many theories that had been proposed, Miller's plane probably crashed because of its carburetor, which was a type known to ice up in cold weather. And with the disappearance of Glenn Miller and all the craziness that's happening throughout this time in 1944, we have conspiracy theories. And so multiple um, substantiated conspiracy theories have been um, uh, occurred throughout uh, about Miller's death. And so among them are that he was assassinated after Dwight D. Eisenhower sent him on a secret mission to negotiate a peace deal with Nazi Germany. That he died of a heart... uh, Another one was that he died of a heart attack in a brothel after arriving in Paris and that his plane was hit by bombs being jettisoned by Allied bombers returning from an aborted mission to Germany. The most likely scenario, however, though, was that Miller's C-64 Norseman flew into cold weather and experienced carburetor icing, causing the aircraft to lose power and ditch in the cold water. Any survivors would have died of hypothermia within 20 minutes. Truly sad stuff, truly tragic stuff for the the great Glenn Miller to, to lose him at still a young age, and to have him be lost in that way, in that regard, just just 
truly sad, truly tragic, a tragic day for Glenn Miller. And so yet again, um, December 15th, 1944, um, we lost. We lost a great. We really did. And, and since his music has really, really changed uh, jazz music as we know it, um, Army, Air Force bands, jazz bands as well as we know it. He has changed the game, and it's so important. We have tunes such as Moonlight Serenade and In the Mood that to this day are still popular classics, still being played in jazz bands all across the country and all across the world. So what is that one question? What is that one question you would ask Glenn Miller? Well, first off, I want to know his perseverance. And what made you continue making music despite failure at first? That's a big thing, because I, I think that's a huge thing when it comes to Glenn Miller. What, what, what inspired you? What made you realize that you had to continue to do this despite the, the failed efforts, despite the failure overall? You continue to do it, and you made it. Last week, we talked about Warren Zavon and how he just never made it, but he continued to make music, even though he never really made it. Glenn Miller finally made it, never to the extent that he should have, but he still made it. But what made him do that? That perseverance. What made him say, I have to continue to do this? That perseverance. It's really important. It's huge. It really is. Um, just, just, uh, just wow. And, and again, what happened is another question that I, I would definitely, um, definitely would definitely ask as well, because it's something that we don't know. We, we have a good understanding, but we don't know, uh, really. And so we'll go ahead and wrap up the show in the next break. But first, we've got two more tunes for you. Here's I've Got No Strings and this time's The Dreams On Me. Hope you all enjoy. And that was This Time The Dreams On Me, featuring Ray Eberly and by Glenn Miller. Right before that, we had the Andrew Sisters with Glenn Miller and his orchestra. Uh, I've Got No Strings, great tune right there. We've got one more tune for you, of course, the classic Moonlight Serenade. But first, what could have been with Glenn Miller? Well, I, I think I think it's fairly obvious Glenn Miller would have continued to do his, his amazing, amazing things in music. Um, he would have continued with the war effort um, throughout the rest of the war. The remainder of the war, he would, have con he would have come back to the U.S., and I think he actually would have changed the game even more. I really do think so. I think he would have done things that you wouldn't have ever even thought of if it wasn't for what he learned throughout the war. I think he would have done some really amazing things, um, and truly. Once again, we have one more tune for you, but first, thank you all for listening, as always, into the Days of Music Dad right here on 89.5 WJMU The Quad. I'm your host, Caleb. Don't forget to tune in next week right here from every 3 to 4 p.m. on 89.5. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Days That Music Died and on Twitter by the same name. And don't forget to check out our podcasts on Spotify, Google Podcasts, the Anchor Podcast app, and more of your lesser-known podcast apps. We've got one more tune for you. We'll catch you next week. Have a good one. Can't wait to be back and doing the show yet again. Here's Moonlight Serenade by Glenn Miller. Have a good one.